Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Next 7 Days podcast series where we break the season down into week-by-week segments, bringing on a new guest hunter every week that specializes in their time frame. We're starting off at September 14th and running to November 30th, covering every segment of the season, starting with early season into the October lull into the rut and the secondary rut. So let's get ready to hunt the next seven days. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, coming at you with episode two of the Next 7 Days series. And today we are talking with Ethan Eskew. Shout out to Ethan. He already put down a red antlered buck early, early season using the exact tactics that he talks about in this episode. So let's not wait around. Let's get right into it and get into the people that make this possible so we can get into the show. Starting off with Exodus Outdoor Gear. If you're in the market to pick up that one, two, three last cell cams to get you really in the game, get that most recent information. Um, look no further than Exodus, the Exodus render. It is the best cell camera on the market. One thing I love to do with my Exodus render, um, as I like to keep one not deployed here handy, if I go and take it with me when I go pull cards, and if I have a card that's really, really hot and a buck's daylighting, I'll throw that render up. I like to keep it not deployed and at the first of the season that's how i've been able to kill these bucks really early is having that mobile cam when i find a buck that's daylighting in an area hang that mobile cam and get that most uh, recent information and i know if i hang the exodus render out there it's going to perform it's going to send me pictures and i also have that five-year warranty and theft coverage if i want to hang that on public and not have to worry about i'm also shooting the new exodus mmt arrows just broke out the fresh half dozen um, and started shooting those. I've been target practicing all, all uh, preseason here with uh, six, and I just brought out the second six and shooting them shooting them out of the tree stand this last weekend, really dying them in, and I'm absolutely in love with these arrows. They're shooting flat, true, and I can't say anything negative about these arrows. Can't wait to see how they penetrate on deer and uh, get the job done. I know they will. A lot of people are already getting kills with these L- arrows, and I'm super jealous that it's not me, but hopefully I'm on a couple and I can get it done early. Um, next, we got Afflictor Broadheads. I've talked a lot about the K2 head, which I'll be shooting, but they also that's a fix, but they also have some mechanicals. So I want to talk to you about the Hybrid EXT Afflictor. 
Um, this is an inch and a half cutting to hammered hybrid broadhead. So it is a mechanical. Um, it has the same head as the the same half inch head up front as the K2, that cutting head. That's what I really like about them. They have a really heavy head up front to get that initial cut on contact. Um, it's a fixed and a mechanical, so it's a hybrid broadhead. It's both. It's 100 grains, um, and, and I've heard a lot of good things about it. I've seen Exodus shoot them. I actually got a pack of these, and I will be trying them, um, but they do have fixed and mechanicals if you're in the market for either one. I know a lot of people will not shoot a fixed head. Um, that's something that I'm switching to this year, and I'm loving it. The, the K2 is flying perfect. Um, I believe it's one of the most underrated uh, broadheads on the market right now. Um, and that's it, guys. Let's get right into the show and get Ethan on. All right, we got Ethan Eskew on. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I should say today. I normally don't record podcasts during the day, but the stars aligned, and we were able to jump on here real quick and get this. Yeah, I actually had a little bit of time today, so we hit it perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. So I got your information from Jake Bush, Absolute Slayer, and I said, hey, I need a slayer from you know that's out there killing it to talk about the 21st to the 28th, and he's like, "Oh, I got your guy." So I was able to get that contact information and get you on here. So uh, starting off here, just do a brief introduction about yourself and some of the success that you've had throughout the years. Yeah, so Ethan SQ, um, mechanical engineer by day and a hunting addict by the days that I'm not at work and the days that I am at work. <laughs> um, I've had, you know, quite a bit of early season success the last handful of years, um, especially the last five years. Up until the last five years, I would say I was definitely a pre-rut and rut hunter, kind of relied on that for my success. But o- over the last five years, um, I started doing some things a little bit differently. And now you could not take september away from me from a whitetail standpoint uh if you tried i would 10 out of 10 times choose september over november um for whitetails as far as getting a big deer on the ground um you know so i've shot i have to do some counting for a second i forget how many i've shot in september the last five years almost all the deer i've I've killed the last five years um i've shot in september i've shot i've shot two in november last year but other than that i think that almost everything has been in september um and i've you know gotten on multiple deer that i've passed or um you know unfortunately as it goes there have been some arrows released that did not result in a buck at my feet, uh, but those were also in September. So, yeah, I've shot, like I said, I'd, I'd have to count. There's been quite a few over the last five years in September. So I've kind of gotten to the point now where that is my, that's my time frame, my favorite time frame. Um, that's where I put the most emphasis on as far as the entire year is getting on one in September. Yeah, no, if if Jake Bush says, hey, this dude's a killer in September, that's a guy that you trust. Um, but I seen uh, on your page there that you were with him when he killed that giant public land a couple years ago. So um excited to chat with you about this time of year. So September 21st to 28th here in you know, the Midwest, a lot of the states aren't open, but a lot of other states, it's, it's in the game 100% right now. So um, what are the Bucks doing during this time of year? 
Yeah, so the 21st to the 28th, the Bucks are out of velvet, which deer change when they shed velvet. Um, you know, I think the earlier in September, the better, personally, especially if you're really early. If you're in, in a state or area that you can actually hunt them early enough to where they're in velvet, to me, that's the best. But like you said, there's a lot of areas that just aren't open that early. And the later into September you get, the more areas open. So, that last week of September that we're talking about here is kind of crucial uh, because you just got more opportunity in more states. And so, like I said, those bucks, they're out of velvet. Um, they aren't even thinking about the rut yet, though. So they are in this kind of transitional period to me where, you know, they're not doing exactly what they did all summer long, but they're not even thinking about rut, even thinking about pre-rut to me, you know, they're just, they're just eating and, and betting. And I mean, that's really all they're doing is eating and betting, um, and traveling back and forth. So, you know, the, the main thing you got to focus on during that time frame is finding the, the food source. And that, that can vary big time. Um, you know, where I live, I'm, I'm not one to talk on crops much because we don't have crops where I live. I've never been an ag hunter. Um, so I can't speak to that during this time frame too effectively. But if you're in an area that doesn't have crops, you know, I know that during this time frame, um, hard and soft mast is going to be a um, big, big time food source. And then you will have years that you don't have mass, um, like, I think it was last year, actually, um, where I live, we had no acorns, no apples, nothing. You know, all the all the mass was just not there last year. So these these bucks uh, typically around here, well, they will feed in like hay fields and pastures and stuff um, the majority of the summer. And then on a normal year around mid-September, the acorns start dropping and then you've got this transitional period in this last week of September where they start transitioning off those green food sources and more onto the mast in the timber. Um, but to me, on if you have a year that has a really bad mast like we did last year, those bucks actually still hit those green food sources into the last week of September because they didn't have anything to transition to. So that gave you more time and more opportunity to exploit them on their summer pattern you know their summer pattern they do the same thing for three months and then once hunting season rolls around they start transitioning from week to week so i think something important to keep in mind is the year that you're in because you for example last year there was no mast and they stayed on that summer pattern two to three weeks longer than they i've ever seen them do actually um but you have other years that it's a crazy good mast year and you might even have some early droppers in early to mid September and they might start, you know, transitioning their food sources uh, even quicker. So it really depends on the year and, you know, to, to stay on top of that, you got to stay on top of the deer, whether that's glassing, trail cameras, um, whatever, you got to stay on top of the deer. And then you also have to stay on top of the food source that they're utilizing. Yeah, this is a weird time of year. Even like for me on trail cams, you can see it. There's the switch of velvet sheds already happened, but then 
um, a lot of like around here in the Midwest, the farmers, some farmers are getting in the field. Some people are cutting hay and baling it. So the acorns might start dropping. I've, I've noticed already that our acorns are dropping a little bit and you just start losing and gaining bucks, um, right before season. And, uh, like you said, following the food sources is key right now. Cause that's pretty much all they're wanting to do early October. Um, late September is just bed to food and in between. Uh, so if you could go into a perfect setup where you got the perfect wind, perfect weather, perfect location to where you think you would kill a buck, what would that be? So it's all going to vary, but during this week, I'd say there's two, there, there's two perfect setups to me. And it just depends on the year, like I said, because last year um, I got a shot at a buck in this, in this time frame, um, the five or six year old deer, just old really cool deer um and he was on a field edge actually and that would have never happened any other year but it was a perfect setup you know you're on the field edge um this this buck was bedding basically right off the field edge so i didn't want to push too close to his bed because he was literally bedding maybe 75 yards from the field edge so you know i pushed in right to the edge um and i caught him coming out and, and got my shot but the only reason he was still hitting the only reason he was still betting there and still feeding in that field was like i said there was no mast um other years you know i would say on the average year my perfect setup would be in the timber um a good acorn producing flat close to bedding but it, it has to be, you know, I hunt specific deer. I don't hunt spots or I don't hunt, you know, good looking areas personally, because where I'm at, I try to kill the absolute biggest deer in the area and I have to find that deer before. So if I know that the buck I'm wanting to shoot is bedding in a certain area, you know, I will, I will hunt the closest oak flat. Um, or it doesn't even have to be a flat. I've had good success before just under many times, actually under one tree. Um, the, again, the woods where I live, they aren't overly, um, populated with oaks. So sometimes you'll have a, a big hardwood stand and you'll have one massive oak tree in the middle of it. And sometimes I actually prefer that cause it acts as like a focal point. It draws everything right to that one tree. Um, but, but yeah, as far as being perfect, you know, I, I want to be even on that field as an example, you know, I was within a hundred yards of where that deer was bedding. So you want to be close to the bed to where, you know, that you're going to catch that buck in daylight. You want to be on the way to, or at the food source, just depending on the setup, you know, I've, I've killed them on the way to food. I've killed them at the food. Um, I really like cold fronts in, in that last week of September, you know, you can still have real warm days. Like if you have, you know, three or four days in a row where it's like 80 degrees and then all of a sudden you get a cold front and it's a high of 65 or, or something along those lines, the movement always seems insane on those days. Um, so if you know where that buck's at, if you know where he's bedding, you know, you know, or have a good guess as to where he's feeding and you can put all that together with that cold front, there's a really good chance you're going to get a shot of that deer. So that's kind of like the perfect setup to me. 
Yeah, sounds perfect to me too. Just that bed to food transition setting up there. But like you said, that time of year, even for early October for us, you got to get really tight to those beds to see those deer unless you have that cold front like you're that you were talking about. So right. getting into some fun would you let rathers, and this is something that um, I want I threw in these episodes to kind of mix up the tactic talk. So eliminate all spider webs early season or eliminate all mosquitoes. You got one or the other. What are you doing? For actual hunting, I'm going to say getting rid of the mosquitoes because you just sit in your tree up there and get, get blasted yeah, by get them. smoked. I mean, the mosquitoes right. you could keep away with, with something, but the spider webs, they just sneak right up on you. Most of the time, that's right. pulling cams in the summertime, though. And, right. That's what I was going to say. If you're talking scouting, yeah. then I'm taking the spider webs. <laughs> but if you're talking actual hunting, yeah. I'm taking the mosquitoes. Those damn spider webs, I've been hanging cams, and I'm like, there's got to be a bajillion, a legit number of bajillion spiders out here in the woods to have this many spider webs. So. Oh, yeah. Yep. Right. I always take a little stick and yeah. <laughs> wave it in front yeah. of me. I If I'm on private, I take my machete because I, I hate getting <laughs> blank pictures, uh, you know, a trail cam, so I'll just hacksaw everything out in front of it but i just use that pretty much use the holder for that and just wave it up and down but all right number two kill 130 inch buck still in velvet or 145 inch out of velvet 145 out of velvet 145 out of velvet. i don't have a velvet deer but i mean 15 inches is a lot people don't think that's a lot but when you get it on a frame of a deer it it adds up pretty quick so yeah. i mean for me it's i've killed i've killed velvet deer and i've killed you know mostly hard horn deer and you know velvet is cool i will say that it's also a pain you know like yeah I, i'm assuming yeah to try to get that to the taxidermist all together and keep it nice it's probably a pain pain of the butt right i actually do my own taxidermy um so you know that does help a little bit but like just getting the deer out of the woods or you know like you can't just grab the rack and drag it out um yeah you know it's velvet is cool and i don't get me wrong like i love velvet deer just because it's earlier in the year and the earlier i can hunt the better but um it is kind of a pain so if, if you're making me choose between a smaller velvet or a bigger hard one i'm taking the bigger 145 for sure all right last one hunt in hot temps or strong winds this time of year strong winds yeah, I would take strong. I have personally, I haven't noticed a huge deterrent in deer activity as it relates to strong winds, unless you're talking like gale force stuff, you know. Yeah, but I haven't. I, I haven't seen a huge, big, you know, like if it's twenty fifteen, you know, they still they're still moving, you know. Right. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree. And actually, you know, if I if I really dig into that. I know that's just kind of a fun question, but if you dig into that a little bit more during this time of year, if you have high winds, you typically have some type of weather front. So, you know, with some type of weather front, it's either going to come a cold front or you're going to have a big shift in barometric pressure. Uh, you're going to have uh, different types of precipitation. You know, you get the precipitation during this week of September. You know, that's typically a good time to, you know, have those scrapes. If you're on the right scrape, it's... Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm taking the high winds for sure. Because like I said, the high winds are typically a result of some type of front. And I, I feel like you can, you can utilize any type of front to your advantage if you do it properly. But just a stagnant, hot day is 
the my least favorite to run. Yeah, those are awful, man. But yeah, like you said, last night I was out riding on the four wheeler and it was nice out, but then I got on the four wheeler with shorts and t shirt and it was cold. So if you have strong winds, it's also gonna lower the temperature some of no matter what it says it is, what it feels like out there. And that's what these deer run off of is, you know, what it feels like. That's why I think after a rain there's really good movement because there is a temperature drop. It's like a cold front just came through. You know, there's a temp drop where drop the temp down 10, 15 degrees, and those deer are like, okay, I'm going to get up and move. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely agree on the high winds there. So getting back into the the tactic talk here, uh, the food sources, you said you're, you know, soft and hard mass is key. Um, if you have ag, you know, finding the right ag, um, maybe some food plots if you have food plots this time of year. But uh, this time of year, you're if you're on that soft mass – on the food source are you doing mostly evening hunts mostly yeah um but you know i i am not the person that says oh you know early season is evening only because i don't agree with that at all i've had i've had good success early in mornings um i will say that i'm primarily an evening hunter you know but that's just because typically I feel like I have a better chance in the evening. But like I said, I've had success in the mornings and it's just, it just depends on the deer, where he's bedding, what food source he's using, the area. There's, there's a lot of variables, but I'm definitely not an evening only hunter in the, in the early season. All right. Um, going, you mentioned scrapes earlier. So going on here, um, scrape hunting, if you are hunting a scrape this time of year, what would the scenario need to be um, for that to happen? Yeah, so I, so you know, I think September scrapes are far, far different from October and November scrapes. You know, September scrapes are more of those primary hubs where you know deer are coming to it as a communication and interaction uh, interface at these scrapes. Whereas you know, you get into like mid late October you get these pre-rub bucks they they just walk around the woods popping up scrapes everywhere you know what I mean so for me in September that last week of September if you have a big uh primary scrape especially if you've been able to hunt an area for a few years if that scrape is there every year you know that's a that's a communication hub for these deer um and I personally haven't had too much uh, personal success putting deer down early season on scrapes, but I have friends that definitely have. And um, like I said, I think that the the key thing to keep in mind there is you want to hunt. If, you, if you're going to hunt a scrape during this time frame, it's got to be a primary scrape. Um, a perennial primary, I think, would be even better. One that's been there for years. And it's got to be close to the bed. Again, uh, everything relates back to, you know, for me, I'm hunting a specific buck always. So, you know, if, you know, I said my perfect scenario earlier, um, but really the, the perfect scenario would probably be you got a target buck, you know, he's bedded right here. There's a food source 100, 150 yards away, but right before that food source, or, or or in the food source or something, there's that uh, primary scrape 
you know, right there, you know, that's you're stacking everything up on, you know, where the buck's bedded, you're on the travel route, you're on, you're at the scrape, you're next to or at the food source. Um, I just, as far as hunting the scrapes, like I said, I think it's gotta be a primary scrape. Um, it's gotta be close to the bed and it's gotta be one that it's going to be hit during daylight hours. And to me, that's, you know, like I said, close to the beds, number one in cover, um, field edge scrapes, you know, they happen this time of year, but you know, bucks are, they're out there hitting those after dark, typically, you know, just, um, smelling the licking branches, getting communication with other deer, but those aren't something I would ever really key in on during this time of year. It's got to be close to the bed in the cover. Yeah, I agree. The only thing I would add to that is if a guy's out there and he's got a scrape that's on the edge of a standing cornfield, which you said you don't have a lot of ag, I see had a lot of success on trail cams running them on the edge of a standing cornfield. There's something about that corn being there that it's almost like they're still in the timber. And they seem to hit those um, earlier in the day, um, but you still want to be close to bedding. But it might not need to be really, really tight on that bedding that they're coming there. It's a scrape on the food source that they're actually hitting. But for it to be in daylight, it needs to be on a standing cornfield. I've had really good success on that. Um, so last topic here, if you could tell anybody out there that's going to be hunting this week, um, one or two things that you think would help them be more successful, what would that be? Have a specific deer in mind. Um, that kind of goes for almost every week of the season for me though. But, you know, for me, if you have one specific deer in mind, you know, to me, that just helps your, and I'm not saying like, it's the only deer you're going to hunt all season. You might have, five different bucks that you're going after but when you go in to hunt you have that deer for that day that you're after um you know personally if i don't have that i'm not hunting like i will i will not hunt unless i have the buck that i'm after i will keep scouting so that's my number one tip is have a buck in mind you know that changes a little bit in the rut you you know you can always get lucky in the rut and i think that's why the majority of people kill in the rut and get lucky in the rut um but if you're not in the rut that my biggest tip by far is hunt with a purpose you know have a specific deer in mind every time you go into the field to hunt and if you don't have that don't hunt just keep scouting until you find that deer and then formulate the plan and then go into killing and I know that's not like super tactic driven for that specific week. Um, but I think that, you know, that is my number one uh, tip for that week. And like I said, any week outside of the rut, my success has went up tenfold since I started hunting with that mentality. You know, there's some years that I barely hunt. I might hunt five times, but I might kill, you know, two or three deer <laughs> in those five hunts. Um, it's I'm, I'm definitely a scouter more than I am a hunter anymore. And I think that that's, like I said, helped my success tenfold. Yeah, I agree with that time of year, especially if, if you're just trying to go into an area that has bucks, a lot of times you're, you're either going to be in an area that you think's good, but you're not, you're not sure what's that. And you're wasting a hunt. Like you said, if you have a target buck in mind that you know is there that you can make a move on, make something happen, 
um, that's the time of year, especially if you can hunt this time of year before they make that drastic rut change um, to, to strike. So I like that tactic a lot. Just, you know, go in with a purpose, go in after one buck and put the pieces together on one buck instead of trying to put the pieces together on 10 bucks at the same time. And that's what I do a lot of times. I got three or four different shooters and I'm trying to figure out the best time of year to hunt them. And a lot of times I'm like, well, I'm going to go throw a, a scouting set on this one. And um, that's one thing I'm going to mention here that I didn't have on here. During this time of the year, um, are you doing any observation sets before you move? Or are you just going off your scouting and trail cam data? And, and if you're going in, you're going in. Um, I do. I do a lot of observation. I don't typically do much observation sets, you know. So I do a lot of glassing, a lot of trail cameras, but I won't. And it's just the areas that I hunt and have hunted in the past. They just don't set up very well to maybe get in a tree like 200 yards away from where you actually want to be and then see a buck do something and then move in. Like your classic observation sit and then move in the next day. What I'll do is I'll try to hang back as far as I possibly can. You know, I think glassing is really really overlooked in the midwest and east versus out and i hunt out west a lot so you know i know the importance of glassing and i have really good optics for that so i utilize that here for whitetail and you know i'll hang back and watch you know it might be pulling my truck over on the side of the road you know a mile and a quarter away from this little field edge and seeing a buck come out and you know so i do a lot of observation but I don't do many observation sits. Um, but whether my observation be glassing or um, trail cameras, you know, typically once I decide to go in, you know, I'm going all in. And that typically works out more often than not for me. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the episode. I know you helped out somebody out there that's listening to this this time of the year um, to go out there and get on their target buck, man. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it. The wrap for episode two of the next seven days series. I appreciate you guys tuning in all the way to the end. If you found any value in this episode um, that Ethan spit out there, could you please leave me a review wherever you're at on iTunes, Spotify? I greatly appreciate that. Hopefully you found a little tidbit information and you go out there and you kill your target buck this week. Um everybody's season is almost open if it's not already open so get ready to hunt hard hunt smart have a shitload of fun guys i appreciate you guys listening to this every week love you guys last week i forgot and i'm sure a lot of people were like what the heck but i always try to do the right thing try to leave a legacy and white to legacy is out until next wednesday when we're coming at you with episode three of the next seven days series Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. 
Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.